Voices from the Front Lines, your national movement building show. You're on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, and streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. This is Tuesday at 3, and by tomorrow you can also download the show on VoicesFromTheFrontLines.com. Exciting show today. We're going to be talking to Michael Cannon, who's working with the United Auto Workers for Democracy on the one member, one vote campaign that we'll explain. Then we're going to be talking to Channing Martinez about the ongoing struggle with trying to get the LASPD police out of the school system. And then Eric Mann's going to talk about the ongoing attacks on black passengers inside the MTA's uh, House of Horrors. Uh, so we're excited to have Mike on the, on the line. How you doing, Mike Cannon? I'm fine. How are you tonight? I'm good, Mike. Uh, I'm just going to give our listeners a, a, a maybe a two-minute intro to frame some of the questions. So Mike Cannon and I know each other for you know, 20, 30 years. Uh, we worked in the United Auto Workers together an amazing insurgency called the New Directions Movement. You can check it out in my book, Taking On General Motors. You can look it up. A guy named Jerry Tucker ran for regional director as part of an amazing six-state insurgency. And to this day, I love that they said, uh, justice, not just us, meaning the UAW leadership was both in bed with the company and only about themselves. Sadly, nothing's changed. Jerry was uh, denied the election the first time through complete voter fraud. He won finally a revote in the in the uh, courts, but by the time he got to be regional director, he only had about a year left on his term, and they absolutely sabotaged him so that he was not reelected. But the struggle for union democracy continues, and that was one of the real high points. We're hoping that between Tuesday, October 19th and November 29th, the UAW members will be getting these ballots with a chance to have one member, one vote, which means they would directly elect the officers of the organization of the union instead of through the very crooked uh, convention system that presently exists. So that's the short of it. And Mike's... Uh, as a, as a movement veteran has been uh, got back involved with this movement for UAW democracy. So, Mike, very nice to have you on the show. Why don't you tell our listeners, in your words, 
what you think this fight is about, any background you want to bring to the story. Well, thanks for having me, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, this fight has been going on for decades. We um, started this journey uh, probably five or six years ago with the massive corruption that occurred at the top levels of the UAW. We had two international presidents convicted of embezzlement of union funds, three vice presidents of the UAW, international vice presidents, regional director, and a host of uh, administrative assistants that stole money on a multi-level scheme to uh, defraud the membership of the UAW. That's what got us here. Um, the government stepped in and demanded uh, a consent decree, negotiated it with the UAW, and in, as a part of that consent decree, there was a provision for a referendum so that the membership of the UAW could decide how they wanted to choose the top leaders of the UAW going forward. This referendum will be uh, decided, like I said, uh, as a result of uh, the, the consent decree, but um, it will set forth a procedure where every member in the UAW will be able to vote directly for candidates running for the top positions of the UAW. Now, Mike, why don't you tell us what the old system was like, because I don't think people can grasp how corrupt it was, and then you'll tell us what's good about the new system. Well, the old system was called the convention delegate system, and that's also going to be on the ballot in doing this referendum. So we have to decide whether we want to stay with the convention delegate system for electing top officers or if we want to go to a one-member-one-vote system. The convention delegate system simply means that the members of the UAW in their respective workplaces vote for delegates to who attend the convention, the UAW convention, and then those delegates vote for the top officers of the UAW. The problem with that system is that it concentrates power into the hands of just a few people, those delegates, and then the administration caucus, which is the ruling party in the UAW, they control all of the seats on the International Executive Board and have control all the seats on the International Executive Board for over 30 years. They go about the business of using every tactic in the book to guarantee that their candidates are elected or reelected at the convention, which means that they use tactics such as threats, intimidation, they uh, deny uh, the uh, local union leadership with servicing uh, options. They, um, they do everything they possibly can so that they, in effect, control not only the convention, but they couldn't control their own reelection. Uh, there's no secret ballot voting at the convention. All the delegates have to stand and uh, announce their vote in public, uh, in a ballroom. Uh, so it's a very corrupt situation. They have massive amounts of money that they use. They offer jobs on international staff. Uh, they offer jobs to uh, some of the joint programs uh, for to local union leaders to get them to go along with, uh, with the program. So there's just no way for 
anyone who wants to challenge uh, an incumbent to be victorious. The last person to do that was Jerry Tucker. That's right. He finally won the election in 1988. Wow. And he's been the only dissident to be elected to the International Executive Board since 1988. So in what, 33 years. God. So, it, it, I, and, and I have to preference this by saying I've never been in a union officially. I've been around unions and I don't even have mem- family members that have been unions. But what you describe almost sounds a little bit like the, the electoral college to some extent, as corrupt as that is. Um, but I do want to throw in the little experience. Me and Eric went to a conference once um, where we saw delegates in a union in Atlanta. Um, and that was my first experience. And I do, I, I also echo that like sentiment of the standing up and voting and how much pressure that puts on you because, you know, you're opening, opening up yourself for attack publicly. Um, and that is scary. Just wanted to name that. Yeah, and let me add one more thing that, and I think you'd agree, Mike, but I'll say it anyway, that yes, there's intimidation, but a lot of delegates are already in on the take before they get there. And there's a lot of corruption at the convention itself. For instance, uh, in our New Directions meeting, there would be, it would almost always be for years at the Anaheim Convention Center, right? And there would be bleachers cordoned off. You couldn't get in to the actual convention, but you could see it all. You'd be, and you'd be an observer. The observers were even things like Victor and Sophie Ruther, who built the UAW, were not allowed on the floor. And who was allowed on the floor were GM executives, Ford executives, uh, Chrysler executives, walking around shaking hands with everybody. After the convention, you'd go to these big parties run by vendors that were trying to sell stuff to the UAW, and I'll say there was prostitution, there was alcohol, there was, you know, the, a lot of these guys were not even going for anything but to go, you know, the, the classic corrupted convention. So when you go as an insurgent and you're talking to other people and saying, come on, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, they're laughing at you like, what are you talking about? Hmm. We're in on the corruption too, brother. You know, no, we do not plan to challenge the International Union, either because they threaten us, or also because we're in on the corruption of the system. Uh, yeah, it was uh, definitely a system. It is definitely a system that uh, needs to be uh, eliminated and replaced uh, by giving the members a chance to uh, to decide who their candidates are going to be and who will represent them on an international executive board. The other problem with it is that it doesn't, the convention system doesn't lend itself to representing all of the members. Right. For instance, at the last UAW convention in 2018, uh, 225 locals did not even send delegates to the convention. So those workers and those workplaces were not represented at the convention. Um, and when you vote for a convention delegate, you usually have to go to the local union hall. So that means that most retirees don't vote in those elections because they don't get up and go to the local union. So the convention delegate system is not really representative of the membership of the union. Um, that's why we think that 
the direct voting system or voting directly for uh, candidates who are running for office at the top level of the UAW is the way to go. That way you maximize participation of the entire union. At least you give everyone that opportunity to cast that ballot. Now, one thing you were saying, Mike, is that one of the positives is that under this consent decree, the ballots are mailed to each individual member and retiree. Explain why that's important versus having the same election in the union hall. Well, because you reach a larger audience. In the UAW, we they will mail out 1 million ballots in this referendum election. 400,000 active uh, workers and 600,000 retired workers. And so it's a mail ballot. You get the ballot in the mail. You simply mark the ballot. There's a return envelope, and you send it back in. It reaches a larger audience and uh, it maximizes participation in the system. And as you were saying when we talked, you know, because Mike and I talk all the time lately, is the union hall is itself is a center of intimidation. So if, unfortunately, so if, if, uh, if the establishment, the union establishment, is controlling the union hall, even if it's a so-called secret ballot, you have to walk into that union hall. So this is a good thing. Mike, tell us about the movement, because... It's not automatic that the members are going to vote for this, even though this is so obviously in their interest. So tell us about the movement and tell us about some of the obstacles. Okay, well, Unite All Workers for Democracy was formed by local union uh, members who were just appalled at the, uh, the extent and the level of corruption that was going on in the UAW. And they just got on the phone and started talking to each other and out of that, they began this program to start challenging the status quo. Um, for instance, one of the things that they did, they filed charges under the UAW Constitution to remove those people who had been indicted um, by the U.S. government from the union. In other words, to take away their union membership. Uh, they also started a movement to call a special convention under the UAW Constitution with the sole purpose of enacting a one-member, one-vote referendum within the uh, confines of the UAW. Uh, it was an amazing, uh, they got a lot of amazing response out of it. It was an amazing movement, and they needed uh, 80,000 locals that represent 80,000 members to pass resolutions at the local union meetings, and they were able to get local unions repre representing 60,000 members to pass that resolution calling for a special convention. The only thing that stopped that movement was COVID. As we know, wow. in March wow. of uh, 2020, the entire country shut down. There were simply no union meetings, and so you couldn't get the resolutions passed at union meetings. That was the only thing that stopped that. Um, so um, the, the movement itself has grown by leaps and bounds. We represent Unite All Workers for Democracy, or UAWD, represents UAW workers in every sector of the union. We have academics, we have auto workers, we have aerospace workers, uh, agricultural employment workers are, are members of and, and, and participating in this movement. 
uh, and it has grown by leaps and bounds in the last year and a half. Uh, some of the challenges that we have is, and I say this to the group all the time, our biggest en enemy is apathy because you got to take a look at the situation. For decades, UAW members have been uh, oppressed by the administration caucus, uh, so much so that a lot of them simply dealt with it by opting out of the system. They just decided not to participate. So now we have to go back in this environment and ask people to put set that aside, come and join us, Let's try to change that union. Let's try to change their future. And so that is our most uh, challenging, as, this is the most challenging aspect of this, this movement, is getting people to gear up again and become a part of the union. It's starting to break down slowly, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's definitely one of the major challenges. The other major challenge is COVID itself, because we're not able to call meetings, hold rallies, and get the excitement going and all that. We have to do everything by Zoom, <laughs> by text, by email, by phone. And we've lost the person-to-person -person contact that you get in the movement. You get a group of people in a, move, in a, in a room talking about an issue, uh, talking about making change. There's excitement that builds you know, from that. And so we don't have that aspect in this movement. Uh, so we have to use those tools. Luckily, we have some electronic tools that we can use, and that's what we've been doing. So those are the major challenges. Apathy and COVID are the major challenges that we have. Well, you're in a difficult position, Mike, because as organizers, we know that apathy, you know, it's a system that doesn't want you to participate, whatever you're working on, right? Uh, they will discourage if you come to the city council, they don't really want you there. If you come to the board of supervisors, they don't want you there. They, you know, so people, you have to really want to fight. And then all, our work has been hurt tremendously by COVID. I forget. I get so depressed sometimes. I say, how come nobody's coming to the office? And I realize, wait, we had people coming to the office. We had, I forgot we had book signings with 50, 60 people. We had 100 people came to a film showing where every seat was taken we had, on an average, our events would have 30 to 50 to 60 people. You know, on, on a bad night, we'd get 30. And now, the fact that we've lost that human electricity is very devastating, even to our morale, you know, as organizers. So I think what you're doing is great. I mean, give UAWD a, a lot of credit for what they've done. Um, let me, I know you have to speak carefully, but what do you think about the retiree vote? I think we can make some inroads into the retiree vote uh, without a doubt. I have talked to a number of retirees. Here's, here's the pitch that we make to retirees, that for decades, uh, UAW members, the staff, uh, clericals that work for the UAW, we took uh, great pride in keeping our union squeaky clean over the years. That's right. Um, you know, out of uh, embezzlement, uh, Teamster-type corruption. It just simply didn't exist in the UAW. And those that came before me worked very hard to do that as well. Uh, so when I talk to retirees, I say to them that, you know, we've been betrayed here. 
And because of this betrayal, we have to now change the system because it is the system that cultivated the corruption, without a doubt. Uh, We can no longer allow uh, the UAW to just sort of amble along under the convention delegate system. We have to now take back the union, empower the workers, empower the retirees to, uh, to make the changes here. And uh, when I say those things to them, they understand immediately. Yeah, we've got to rise up and we've got to vote. Uh, We've got to make a change here. So I think we'll do very well in the retiree group, without a doubt. And the fact that the ballots, again, are being mailed to their homes will will certainly help us. Because even if they're uh, bedridden retirees or have uh, any kind of mobility issues, they will still be able to participate in this referendum election. Well, Mike Cannon, I'll tell you that uh, having worked with you for uh, 1988 when Jerry ran, dang, uh, you're a great spokesperson for UAWWD, man, UAWD. Uh, They're lucky to have you. And uh, you sound just like Mike Cannon, as I try to keep sounding like Eric Mann. Uh, (laughs) Tell people at the end, because we're going to tie this up and we want to make sure we get this out. If people are listening to voices from the front lines, give us all the information about how to reach you, how to reach UAWD, one member, one vote. Let me make sure I get all the websites right by you telling us. Okay, great. Well, first of all, let's go over the dates just briefly. Yeah. October October 19th, that's next Tuesday, we will get... uh, uh, ballots in the mail. Ballots will start being mailed out by the UAW and the UAW monitor. Uh, and we have until November the 29th at 10 a.m. to, to for the, the ballot to get your ballot in. Okay, the ballot has to be received by November 29, 10 a.m. Um, if you want to get more information on UAWD, just go to uawd.org, or you can go to our companion website, which is one m. 1V, which stands for one member, one vote.org. And uh, you'll get all kind of information there. You can sign our pledge form if you're a UAW member, and you can help us flyer uh, plants because we are still doing that. That's great. Uh, make phone calls, texts, and what have you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Mike, let me end with saying this that um, I hope this, uh, both the radio show, people listening live this uh, Tuesday. Tuesday at 3, and then streaming live on the web, you could go on any time on uh, voicesfromthefrontlines.com. I urge you, Mike, and all the UAWD members to uh, point people to Voices from the Frontlines. It's called Your National Movement Building Show. This could be very helpful, I hope, in the referendum movement, at least giving people an understanding of what's at stake. And then I leave it to you as good organizers. We will also be putting out a flyer in the email about it. And Mike, it's just been a pleasure to have me having you on Voices from the Frontlines. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Eric. Uh, It's great to be here with you as well. You take good care of yourself.
So hey everybody, you're on Voices from the Front Lines, your national movement building show. This is Eric Mann. I'm in studio with Channing Martinez. And as you know, we have several themes on this show. One is uh, the anti-blackness of the white settler state. The second is the anti-third world nature of the U.S. imperialist white settler state. Uh, the third is the movements. Just what are we going to do about the United States, fighting the United States on all the fronts? Uh, today we have a great conversation with two black leaders, Mike Cannon, who I've worked with with the UAW for so many years, and he's here today to talk about UAWD, uniting all workers for democracy, and a terrific fight going on in the UAW. He'll explain about one member, one vote, which you might think is normal, but that's not in the UAW. And then I'll be talking to Channing Martinez, who's been on the front lines of the fight, along with Students Deserve, along with Black Lives Matter, along with the Struggle Community Coalition, and many groups to deal with the whole anti-blackness and the police state in the schools, the police state in the county, the police state in the country in some way. Now, the third thing we always talk about, though, is, or the fourth, is Voices from the Front Lines and fundraising. Uh, I don't know what to call it, a fund drive. I just think it's fundraising. I talked about that before. I said that you know, this is your radio station. We had the Paul Robeson program last week, and I want to thank you all for calling in and, and buying the Criterion Collection. Uh, today is not going to be a premium. The premium is Mike Cannon and Jenny Martinez. I understand it's hard that every time you hear a show, it's 818-985-5735. 818-985-5735. You know, when I go on TV, sometimes the movie's free. But sometimes it's two ninety nine, And I say, well, that's worth it. And sometimes, I have to tell you, it's nineteen ninety five. I'm talking out of school, but if it just came out and they're going to keep it there for a long time, I say, what the hell? I don't go out anymore, so spend nineteen ninety five. That's how I think you have to think about KPFK and Voices from the Front Lines, which is whether you're laying in bed, whether you're walking around, whether you have it on your headphones, whether you're streaming live on the web at kpfk.org, whether you're going to uh, podcast it later at either kpfk.org or voicesfromthefrontlines.com, we put a lot of time into this show, Channing and I, to produce it. And this is your political not entertainment, but political education, and we try to make it as entertaining as possible. So in certain ways, what I'd like you to feel like is every time there's a fun drive, and I'm a regular listener to Voices, Eric and Channing are going to say, could you make a substantial contribution? And that might have to be three or four times a year. And you'll figure out how much you want to give in a year. And some days you got the, the spirit is... You, you got the spirit, and you say, you know what, I'm going to give more than I thought. But you need to understand that we also feel pressure to make sure the contributions come in, because we don't feel in some way it's fair that we're doing our programming, and then at the end of the day, we, you know, uh, 
Terry Guy and others ask us, how'd you do? And we get the numbers. Uh, we want the numbers to be good because we want to look good. But we also want to believe that the listeners to Voices really give a damn and are going to put up serious money because Mike Cannon is trying to change the whole UAW with almost a million members. We are trying to change the school system with 650,000 people, then change the bus system with 500,000 people. We need money to keep keep PFK doing its job so we can do our job. So call 818-985-5735-818-985-5735. I got no skin cream for you. I got no ways for you to reorganize your life. I have no way for you to make money in your old age, your middle age, your young age. I just got some anti-imperialist, black nationalist, pro-communist, climate justice revolution, and that's going to do much more for your skin than anything you can buy anyway. 818-985-5735. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. All right. (laughs) So, it feels in some ways two sides of the same coin, or there's many sides to the same coin. Mike Cannon and the workers of the United Auto Workers are trying to make the union democracy democratic. And that's because it's taken over by the company. The union is taken over by the company and taking bribes from the company. Now, we're in the school system. And the school system is dominated by a police force that we are trying to defund, and now I love the word zero out their budget, take their last $53 million. Great, whoever came up with that formulation. But you know what? In some way, the police run the school system instead of the school system run the police. That's what we're trying to change. The second thing that continues, if I can say it, impressed me about Channing, is that at the Strategy Center, we teach people you've got to learn the very fine grain reality of what's going on with the system. You can't just say down with the system, down with the system. People would ask you, what's the budget like? Why this? Why that? Why that? And I want to say again, Channing, I think you're doing a really good job of becoming like a movement intellectual and a movement strategist, which means you've got to know what you're talking about. Okay. So you just came back from a rally. Let's start with the rally first because that was on a broader set of questions, and then we'll get to the fight inside the school system. So the rally was Thursday, October 14th. What happened? What were the demands? And what was good about it? Yeah, what happened is about three or four different events from school police or police and schools in the Los Angeles area. And we... You know, we're working as normal. We're trying, we're in the middle of the implementation of the Black Student Achievement Program. But we had to stop because there's four events, and we don't even know if there's going to be a fifth event. Um, And the LA School Police has put out a, a statement basically saying, this event happened because you cut our budget, not that they were going to do anything about anything. Um, And so we needed to put something out. Um, And so here's what happened. You know, during the summer, a student was walking down campus in Lancaster. Uh, What I understand is the officers said something smart to them, and they replied back. 
and that student ended up getting body slammed to the floor um, for having a smart response. That's incident number one. Incident number two, just a few days later, no, 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 just a, a few weeks later, in Long Beach, there was a fight after school. There's always fights on it. I mean, it's high school. This is normal youth activity. They fight. Um, they're still learning how to deal with their emotions and how to express their emotions and what to do about them. There was a fight after school, and one girl was basically fleeing the scene. Uh, she got into a car and uh, sped off, but the police officer ran after her and ran to the car. He got there late as the car was basically speeding off, and he took his gun out and shot directly into the back window. Um, ended up hitting Mona Rodriguez. Um, that's incident number two. Uh, incident number three, and some of these might be out of order, um, but incident number three was at Santee High School, and apparently there was someone in a car that basically did a drive-by. Um, you know, when something like that happens, there's nothing you can do in the moment. Uh, there is a lot you can do leading up to an event, because obviously that act of violence comes out of a series of escalation. Um, and it comes to find out that actually one of the students knew the person that did it right. And so obviously they came because there was a conflict happening on. But there's not enough adults on campus speaking to students. And so you don't know what's going on with students outside of the campus. You're okay. acting as if, you know, the school is the the factory that you're you're just using them for workers, right? And you don't care about the real humanity, right? And so that whole event could have been... Uh, avoided had there been counselors, had there been psychiatric social workers actually speaking to students. So that's event number three. And the result of that event was the LA school police put out a press release basically attacking the board members, uh, saying that this happened because you defunded our school pool, our budget by 25%. And, you know, that's, that's I forget this is radio. That's obviously bullcrap. Um, and if they were there, there was nothing that you could have done because right. it's a drive-by. It's the culmination of a series of escalation, right? So that's event number three. The last event was at Culver Middle School, and there was a man. Uh, I think he was having psychological difficulties, and apparently he was exposing himself. Um, I don't think he was fully there understanding what he was doing, Um I do think that there should have been some response to that uh, to get him to stop. Maybe some mental health uh, person to respond to that. Um, I don't know, maybe an adult to respond to that. Uh, but the consequences were that he was shot and taken to the hospital. Um, as of now, I don't have an update on his condition. Um, but, I, you know, I can assume that it was, it was terrible. Um, and the big thing to say about that event is that there was someone on the scene who posted on Instagram a video basically after the event happened. I swear on that video you can see somewhere between 25 and 50 officers. And one thing that was interesting that the guy said that was recording is, look at all these officers. This is not even LAPD. This is not even the sheriff's. You see, they got all these squad cars out there. They got a military grade. They have a military-looking weapon out there. This is all school police. 
Right. Waging war on families. So, you know, the last thing I want to say about that is it's hard being an organizer and you're organizing students and we've just won a very big victory. And, you know, these events happen. Most times they're one off, but when they happen like this within days of each other, it's hard um, because you're trying to do this work, but it doesn't feel like you're winning because the police still have their guns. They still have their billions of dollars. And, uh, you know, from my own psyche and my own perspective during that series of weeks, it was hard because it's almost as if the school police took their war on students from the campus to their communities. Well, I think you're right. And I think the things uh, relating to what Mike Cannon said is the system is so powerful that there's been a loss of hope. There's COVID. Even the people that agree with you don't want to march right now on the police. You know, I mean, they're not saying they're the COVID and I might have COVID and they got a gun. So all the work that we've done that's been destroyed through killing the Panthers, through sending all the people that would have done something, seriously, into prison right now or dead, means that this new movement, and it is a new movement, I think is doing great. I really mean that. And I think big, I always say big props to Black Lives Matter and big props to students deserve in particular for their energy, but also big props to you and the Strategy Center. I mean, we, as much as we can, we're on this case every single second. And that's sadly what it's like because they don't shoot people between 9 and 5. You know, they shoot people at 3 in the morning and you get calls in the middle of the night and... But I'll tell you one thing that I think is very positive is I think we are winning the battle of ideas in LA, which is why the school police are now on the defensive. And that's the difference. They're attacking Monica Garcia out of weakness. That's right. You know what I mean? They are doing horrible things out of weakness, which is if if we play our cards right, can weaken them further. So in terms of encouraging you... uh, this is one of the more encouraging periods where I think around the country, the defund the police movement, I'm not that encouraged by. I think it's sort of a defund, 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 but this is deep, real defund. And we are going to get rid of this OASPD. I think that's what's going to happen. They're going to be wiped off. And that can help in terms of movement building around the country. And I appreciate you sharing the loneliness of the long-distance revolutionary. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, some days that's what it's like. Um, I'm interested in the rally you went to because it sounds like a lot of good groups were there and also like you had people from, was it Pomona, did I get it right? That's or, right. Yeah. So you're beginning to have, when the movement starts getting good, now we're dealing with LA County, maybe you could explain... I didn't, you were telling me, but to try again. The how the LA, you know, let me slow down. The way LA County works, everybody is LA City, which is four million people, has its own police department, LAPD. But you don't know that there's six million other people in LA County. Most cities do not have their own police. They use the LA County Sheriff, which is the worst. I mean, who knows who's worse? But 
very powerful and very heavily funded and not under as much scrutiny as the OAPD is in some way. So tell, them, tell us what happened at this rally. What did you see? What did you learn? What do you want our listeners to do? And by the way, you're on KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. And check us out at voicesfromthefrontlines.com. Please make a contribution, 218-985-5735, 818-985-5735, because this is Voices from the Front Lines, and Channing is reporting from the front lines. 818-985-5735. So tell us about the rally and some of the new players, and maybe some of the new pieces of the puzzle that you're trying to understand. Absolutely. Well, I think it was a fantastic rally. Uh, I think there was somewhere between 35 and 50 folks there, a lot of students from all over the county. Uh, Folks drove all the way from Antelope Valley to be in downtown Los Angeles, from Long Beach, from Pomona, um, and then all the groups that are here in Los Angeles. So you had Black Lives Matter, Ourselves, Students Observe, Inner City Struggle, uh, Brothers Themselves, SJLI, Coco, uh, all of those groups. Uh, we had um, canceled the contract folks uh, from the Antelope Valley. We had the Gente Organizada and Pomona Student Union from Pomona. Um, we had Gender and Sexualities Alliance from Long Beach and other groups from Long Beach. So it was a very broad coalition. Um, and the thing that I was left because we were reflecting on it is that sometimes it's very hard to bring groups together because sometimes you bring them together with a public event and you can tell everyone has a different political line. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and it's sort of classically funny because it sounds the same, but mm, they just said something that contradicted that. But yesterday, awkwardly, everyone seemed to have built off everyone's point. And as the press conference went on, it it just <laughs> it felt like that person that sort of starts quiet and revs up. That's how our press conference started. Uh, it feels like that person that basically started quiet and did start a little quiet, and then it just as it went on, revved up and revved up and revved up. I thought it was great. Well, first of all, it's got a new concept. It's called human contact. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was great, right? Yes. That absolutely. was to see real people. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think what you're saying is good because, you know, the uh, the police intelligence units, they watch a rally and they know all the stuff. Just like you notice it, they notice it. Right. The first group spoke, the second group couldn't keep the same demand, the third group seemed was competitive with the first group. The groups may not know it, but the police know it. And what you felt, and I again think it's very encouraging, is there at the height of when movements get good, there is tighter unity, a real unity building. And I think the real unity is just get these police out of here and stop funding them and stop, we're not discussing their behavior anymore. We just don't want them. Right. Right? Exactly. And that wasn't even what we were saying seven or eight. We were saying it, but not, you know what I mean? We were still saying get the, get the, uh, Tank out of here, get the grenades out of here, get this. And now we're saying, no, just get out of here. Right. 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 
Exactly. Um, what's it like? So you, you also you went to Roosevelt High School the other day or today? Today, yeah. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. That's another wrinkle. Well, today we there. The way it works is that there's a bunch of partners that are working at Roosevelt, and we're working to figure out what's the best way we can both engage with students, but also support the school at this time. And so today was the end of their first quarter. Um, and normally that's not that big of a thing, but this time it was a big thing um, because students are back in school in person and right. they're going through a lot emotionally. Um, and to be frank, there's too many people on, there's too many students on campus to have very personal relationships with students, a lot of personal relationships. So what we decided to do is to throw a big event during lunch to celebrate. You completed the first round, take a break, get some games, and do do some a little bit of a political engagement. And so a bunch of folks brought games. Some people did uh, uh, like a dancing contest. Someone did a gigantic loteria. Um, I brought... Uh, obviously our big standard, which has all of our pictures and is looking for folks to become canvassers. But then I also brought human-sized Jenga and Uno cards and a bunch of stickers that say police-free schools and buttons and flyers. And so it was really exciting. Uh, the first thing to understand is it was extremely crowded. I mean, there is no social distancing <laughs> right. on campus. Right. There's, there's no way it can't be social distancing right. on campus. Uh, but the interest, second interesting thing is that normally when we're organizing students, a lot of the young women come up. Um, and as you look across the movement, you can see most of the folks in the movement are young women. That's right. But today, somehow, my table was filled with boys everywhere. I, I, don't, I think it was the Jenga set. I don't know <laughs> what it was. What's a Jenga set? I don't know. Uh, it's the blocks that you take out and you put it back together and make sure it doesn't fall. Oh, yeah. It's cool. unbuilding cool. it to build it. Uh, it's kind of Sounds a good. weird game. But, <laughs> uh, but my table was full of a lot of boys, and I gave out a bunch of stickers. Uh, I did ruffle a little bit of flyers because someone came up to me and, you know. Right. But uh, other than that, it's good. It's been, it was a great event, and we're working with a really great uh, person, Carolina, um, who is leading this group of partners and figuring out how can we really support the partners, but how can we also support the school in many good ways. You know, what's interesting is, uh, I don't know what it is about the water in LA or something, but the groups get along. Like in New York, there's something historically, I mean, comrades, I'm from New York, so you know I know what I'm talking about, is the groups don't like each other. There's too much historical tension. But like it sounds like, see if I'm right, is that at Roosevelt, there's a lot of cooperation. I'm very impressed that, that I think the students really want the groups to get along. You know, if they come out and they see all these groups trying to work together, throwing a, like a fair, a movement fair, it helps all the groups. The irony is the less you compete in some ways, the more you win. That's right. Right? And nobody's, the students got enough going on and they can feel it. I can even hear how you sound good about it. You know what I mean? Like you had a good experience. So we know in, in at Roosevelt, we've had very good relations with inner city struggle, mm -hmm. right? And 
And Erika Jimenez has opened up a lot of doors for us and vice versa. So um, it makes me happy. This show is making me feel happy because the reason I like Voices from the Front Lines is because it's Voices from the Front Lines. It's not Voices for Depression. It's not what's wrong with the system. It's not why is Biden losing his mind and losing his coalition. It's people on the ground trying to make history, mainly black and Latinx people and young people and people of all generations. So you have a busy life, young man. I guess my last question is, uh, how are you doing about finding the energy for it? Uh, a lot of sleep. Uh, I'm dating this really great guy who is in the movement as well and understands what it means to be in the movement and rest and uh, take care of yourself to be in the movement. And uh, awkwardly, he is also pushing me to read more, which <laughs> is karma for me. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think uh, I'm not solely relying on him, but I think he he's a really good partner in order to help support me. And so I think that's been really helpful. Oh, that's a great story. That's the first time I heard it on, on Voices from the Front Lines. Uh, now, I think rest is really important. I mean, I my two favorite things are working and sleeping. You know what I mean? <laughs> really, yeah. like just watching TV and chilling and just, you know, uh, making sure there's enough rest. Uh, all that talk about burned out, I hate that story. Nobody's burned out. Come on. They're killing people and you're burned out? Why? Because you went to too many meetings? So stop all that, you know. The main point is get clear what you're doing politically, join a good organization, be a good team player, work hard, and take good care of yourself. Go to yoga, go to the gym, go for a walk, meditate, and, uh, you know, help us build a revolution. So this has been Voices from the Front Lines. Uh, I'm saying goodbye. I'm saying that uh, I had a good time on the show. I really... Mike Cannon's an old, dear friend of mine. I'm very proud of, um, you know, people like us who've been around for a long time are still very relevant to the movement. And if you listen to Mike Cannon, the sharpness of just how he knows how to lay out an idea and how he knows clearly how to answer a question. And same thing I can say for you, Channing. So, Thank you. Uh, folks, you get it, right? Isn't this one of the greatest shows you've ever heard? 818-985-5735. You even got advice on meditation and rest. So with that, is Eric Mann saying goodbye. And as we play Nina Simone going out the door, remember, all power to the people. And there's always got to be meditation for revolution. and of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I've traveled each and every highway and more much more than this 